1: Four steps me my wristwatch is broken it reads what my past have to cost me
0: Welcome back, everybody, to The House List. What's up, party people, In the place to be? My name is Peter Agostin. and I'm your host and the producer of this podcast called The House List. It's sort of like The Guest List. It's based off The Guest List. It's called The House List. And I'm, I'm here. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right now, um, wearing my Phipps t-shirt. I went there on Easter Sunday with my girlfriend her mom. It was great. Beautiful flowers. Um, and I had, uh, um, I was able to record, uh, an interview that will hopefully, well, it will be, it's not hopefully be a two-parter, a two-part episode. This is part one of my grand buffet episode. Yes. Grand buffet. Um, many people Hopefully if you're tuning in, you know, then you know this group. If you're not, then this we had an incredible conversation um a very deep and in, involved cool conversation with my man Jackson uh aka Don, um Iguana John. It's kind of hard cuz or Mrs. Paintbrush uh of of Grand Buffet. Yes, Grand Buffet. Again, Maybe you forgot about them. It's been a while since they put a record out, put an album out. Um, maybe been a while since you've seen them play. But um, for a period of time, they were extremely prolific. And it was of this period of time that was kind of like uh, before quote unquote smartphones and cameras weren't advanced yet. And people were still using MySpace and Friendster and George W. Bush. Reign supreme, uh, and these guys were at the top of their game incredible satirists. Uh, that I was uh, immediately fell in love with the first time I saw them live, which was uh, playing with Wesley Willis, the late great Wesley Willis, whom we talk about in our conversation. So, again, um, this is my two part show about the group, the duo, Grand Buffet. First part being with Jackson the fiery redhead ginger, uh, lead MC of the group springing bounding from the stage, uh, left to right. Uh, and I, uh, was so thrilled to be able to talk to him and see him. I hadn't seen the guy in a long time and I was thought he was great. I thought he was super cool. I mean, these guys crashed on my couch and my floor when I lived in California, they were probably at their most, um, Prolific touring-wise, from around like maybe 2000, 2001, up through like you know the late 2000s. It's kind of hard to say because I know they they, they still occasionally do shows, but I wanted to talk about the history and the legacy of of grandma Buffay, and it was a little tricky. But I was able to get one of them. I still haven't recorded the second one, but I guess by next episode. We'll see whether or not I've posted the, the second story, which will be with Lord Grunge, the counterpart to Great Badon, aka Jackson, uh, Mrs. Paintbrush. So, yeah, if you're like a, a fan or familiar with Grand Buffet, then this is absolutely going to be a big treat for you because they don't really do, they haven't done long form interviews probably in a long time, if ever. And uh, I tracked them down. And uh, just yesterday, I recorded this one that we're about to get into in the Polish Hill segment of Pittsburgh. I've been all over this city, and I got a lot of love and respect for this for this place. I've been here a bunch of times. In fact, my very first time was coming here in like 2002 with my friend, the the rapper MC Z-Man from San Francisco, California. We came out and performed with uh, Grand Buffet. Uh, for a special like album release party, and it's funny because uh, Greg Gillis was at that show, aka Girl Talk. And when we were walking down the street yesterday to do our recorder conversation, out walks Greg from his house, uh, on, and uh, we sat and talked to to Greg, aka Girl Talk, and it was cool. It was a cool conversation about what about what Jackson has coming up. And we were talking about some studio stuff, some analog keyboards and MIDI shit and this, that, and the third. And, uh, then we went and had this amazing conversation I'm about to play for you. So, um, yeah, just, I hope you, I hope you dig it. I opened the show with, uh, one of my favorite songs from these guys. Um, and I know it became like a later staple of the group too. So, uh, and then I'm going to close the episode with, um, something from Jackson's solo, uh, outputs which is mrs paintbrush uh um era type stuff but uh what else what else can i say here um oh yeah if this is your first time tuning in to the house list it's a weekly podcast about friends of mine in the music industry artists um writers journalists publicists people in the industry and stuff like that it's 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 very free form there's no rules I don't really try to do one thing or the other. I just want to put out an episode once a week. So whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. I'm very happy to be able to do something for Grandma Faye, which is one of my favorite groups, one of my favorite live shows. I think that, that there probably wouldn't be a Tim and Eric or Eric Andre if these guys hadn't have, you know, bared the brunt of a lot of that type of uh, uh, sort of comedic parody, satire, music stuff on stage. You know, that, I mean, them, and of course, Neil Hamburger. And even my friend, uh, JP, uh, of or JP Inc. But anyway, I don't want to g- get too tangential here. Uh, but if this is your first time, please subscribe on iTunes. Rate it on iTunes. It's a houseless podcast. That's how it reads on iTunes. Just be like, boom, I liked it. Yada, yada, yada. It's dope, man. And then, like, send it to somebody. If you listen to a podcast on a desktop computer, you can find it on soundcloud.com backslash houseless podcasts. Retweet it, repost it there. I'm on Twitter as at health, houseless. That's at houseless pod. <laughs> so bad at I'm so bad at this. But yes, it's at houseless pod. I'm gonna stop saying that now. So yeah, just um, please spread the word. It's a DIY thing. Uh, and I really appreciate it. And I hope you guys appreciate this and the efforts I went to to make this happen. So here's my conversation with the one and only Jackson, a.k.a. Great Badon Miss Paintbrush of Grand Buffet. My part one of my dual uh, two-parter on the legacy and history of the guys in Grand Buffet. Check it out.
2: I associate you with... with uh... A personal journals tour with with the don and 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 sage where we played like a theater
0: yeah so that was like a couple of years after that after okay. wesley willis of course mm-hmm. um where it was yeah it was sage francis grandma faye edon and i think uh Shalem. yeah yep and uh yeah that was at the north coast Rep- repertory theater in eureka california i remember it um because i did the show michelle cable panache panache magazine which was also like We did a bunch of the shows together in Mm -hmm. and yeah, it was like, uh, I remember that being very special because I think that was the one and only show I ever put on in that venue and it was a seated, you know, it's a repertory theater. So, you know, uh, they probably did death of a salesman like the next week or something like that. Maybe nothing that sophisticated, but, uh, but it was a very cinematic kind of, uh, theatrical performance. I, I remember
2: specifically drawing on uh, drawing like abs and pecs on my body with permanent marker and like busting through the the curtain with right. with that I, I feel like the PA was was um not really kicking ass so no. the angle was like oh I'm I'm gonna like go like full theater kid yeah. on, on this and I remember Idan, who was a very, very competitive cat and a very fucking like hard act to follow, even though, you know, we were going before him. Uh like that was one of the shows where where he was kinda like, You guys, you guys got this one.
0: Right. You know? Well, yeah, I mean that even goes to sort of show that, you know, at that time Grandma Faye was there was there was something beyond just like the the musical joint after joint kind of performance where you're just Mm -hmm. you know playing beats and doing stuff like it could have gone in that direction quite easily you know like this more theatrical Totally, totally exposition because hip hop music was what got
2: me into music but that coincided also with being like a huge David Bowie fan so this theatrical element and watching myself perform in front of a mirror as, as a kid was just as much a part of my like rearing artistically as was like having all the source magazines, you know, when right. they were still on newspaper print, like right. having all those
0: and studying them. Um, So you're from the Northeast. I mean, you're not, you're not I'm from, from Portland, Maine
2: originally, right. which, uh, when I first met Tim, aka Soul from from Anticon, it was it bugged us out because we were born I think within a year of each other. Um hmm. in in fact no, we were born the same year, I'm pretty sure. And we were both redheads yep. in Portland, Maine, but I left and he didn't and he he had much more of like this roughneck vibe when he was coming of age and then he dropped that completely and then move out to the bay area and then when when i went back to portland as 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 like a young adult i saw how much it changed and it's like there's some like gully shit going on in in portland because you had this huge divide between incredibly wealthy people and working class people and and people were getting bopped over the head with blackjacks on some some like cobblestone english thug (laughs) kind of shit like just some some old world new england goon kind of shit was going on um now it's nobody can afford to live in in the old port it's one of the finest places on on the eastern seaboard to eat but nobody can afford to live there so what, what i knew of portland is is gone But, but like, yeah. Did you come to Pittsburgh from Portland or what was your, what was your, the trajectory was, was Portland and then, um, Westfield, Massachusetts, which is just fucking, you know, it's a teeny little industry town. I think it was like a trucking town. We lived in the, in, in like the, the back of a trucking. Uh, company pretty mm. much. So it was a, it was a weird scene where I had the woods and then I had like endless rows of, of 18 wheelers to just walk through and like, wow. you know, like look at my baseball cards. And then we moved to Pittsburgh, mom and dad and my sister and I moved to Pittsburgh in 1988. Mm. Um, and then things kind of disintegrated shortly thereafter with, with our, uh, with my parents' marriage and, and our socioeconomic status, like we were in a blue ribbon school district and then like both of my parents kind of, kind of went into bankruptcy and, um, like then mom got a little apartment outside of the school district and dad kept an even smaller apartment within the school district so we could technically stay with our friends. Right. And just right away, I got an, an about face of like, oh, this is where I'm at now. Like, I'm not a middle class kid. I'm like a lower, you know, upper lower class kid. And like, not having money is, is like a real thing now. So, and not being able to hang out with my friends because I live outside of the school district was a was right. thing. So, it forced me to go into my own world and that's where music and drawing became like my salvation where it was like that was that was my world and hip-hop was even though it was not intended for me was the punk rock music of the time in that it was the most relevant it was the most vital thing going on It, it had the the strongest voice and in my opinion looking back if you were if you were caucasian and at all into music, it, it seemed logical that you were going to get into hip hop, unless you harbored like some some racist shit and just mm. couldn't couldn't get into that because that's like that's not for you. Yeah. It's like well, fucking rock and roll wasn't for you either, but you took right. that and and now it's just it's
0: that's your thing. So yeah. I I instinctively thought that was bullshit. Were you like as a kid, or at least at that time, were, were you just sort of like? on your own figuring this stuff out or did you have like, was it more like you could have like a group of friends that all shared that? Cause I, I kind of have a similar growing up. It was sort of a similar experience and at least in, as far as discovering music, cause it was more like kind of a loner thing where a lot of my um, kids, my age or the kids that were my friends, they weren't really into music. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it was more, I grew up in a kind of a small town that was a college town, but it was like, you know, sports was the main hobby of the of that generation. So if you didn't play football or baseball or basketball, which you, which every kid did, like, in a fun neighborhood in the front yard type shit, but a lot of them were, that was like, okay, well, you're going to continue doing that, and that's going to be your chosen hobby. Like, so hip-hop, for me, too, was like, you know, amongst other things, but that was like my own little individual... Thing to discover on my own because there wasn't a whole lot of like uh, of an exchange with other people. Was it like that? Does that make sense? Was that? I had no big brother figure, right, or big sister figure for
2: that matter. To to hit me. You, your sister is younger than you. No, my sister is my age. Oh, okay, fraternal twin sister. She's like blonde hair, blue eyes. Like we're split down the middle stylistically. Mm. Um, just every which way, we're, we're kind of different people. Right. Both. Good people, but but different. I'm very much cool on my own and like to be left alone to to be in my own little world. And and she likes to be around people and she's team oriented. That's right. so why she's a school teacher in Atlanta. Oh,
1: cool.
2: And and I'm I'm like a 13 year old student permanently. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, there I can totally recall. When grunge hit the scene in the last year of middle school in the North Hills of, of Pittsburgh, so the suburbs, and he was coming from New England as well. He was a Massachusetts kid by way of Arizona, where he had just moved from. Okay. But he was he, he was through and through a, a New England kid, right. and he had an older brother who had... The new york city breakers posters right next to rush oh, and and the police and kiss and and he was hip to all that that stuff so grunge had a big brother that schooled him on all that kind of stuff so going over to grunge's house and seeing how it was going down in the basement with guitar amps and a drum set and grunge had his bass oh, and it was wow. like holy shit nobody is is putting it down like this in in the school so so before grunge, I had one friend who was into rap only because it was it was going to piss his parents off. Hmm. And when shit started to get a little political, like he felt alienated and he gave me the first public enemy record, Yo bomb show and mm-hmm. he gave me. Um, all of his rap because he realized like this isn't for me. Like I, <laughs> really? I liked it because they were swearing. Right. But now like it almost sounds like they don't like me. You know, this like wow, Italian revelation here, uh, yeah. this Italian Polish kid. So I took those those cassettes and it's like holy shit. It just blew my mind. And as soon as I heard Chuck D's voice, I was like, I know that voice because I heard that on my clock radio at like midnight one night just trying to trying to go to sleep and having that right by my bedside um my realistic clock radio I was like right. holy shit I heard something off Yo Bummer's show and it was the coolest sounding shit
0: here on the radio here in Pittsburgh yeah yeah um do you remember was there like a show was there like a late night mix show
2: yeah that- it, a, it would have been it would have been either CMU or Pitts right college radio like hip hop show right there was a real flimsy signal. Um, but that that was one of those like the voice of God by way of like Chuck D like came came through the, the thin speakers.
0: Yeah, Chuck D really cut through a lot of shit to a lot of people at that time, myself included.
2: Anyone around my age, like if, if Chuck isn't the hip hop father figure, I, I don't know who is right. Like it, it's going to be Chuck or it's going to be if they're a little older. Como D or KRS one right. or Ice T or, or or someone that, that just was a clearly defined just I got shit figured out and this yeah. this is what you do and this is how you do it. Um so I had I had that moment where my friend gave me those those tapes that got me into it and then there was another kid in school that was by no means progressive and and reading soul on ice by eldridge cleaver and doing stuff that i was doing by way of these names i was hearing with public enemy and boogie now productions but he's he was a weirdo and he had uh take a look around by master ace yeah and it was like whoa let me let me borrow that and i love that production and that was like when i heard music man i was like holy shit Hell yeah. What is, what is what is this? I wanna get I wanna get into to this. That's why I learned about that the whole juice crew thing, cause somehow I, I had missed um uh Big Daddy Kane and Cool G Rap. I just missed that was a whole pocket that I didn't know anything about. Were you watching at that time.
0: videos? Did videos influence you at all this time, or was it all like analog audio tapes and
2: We had the jukebox network that came on on like crackly black and white television, so I would be in my mom's basement watching a black and white TV, and at around midnight, the rap videos started getting requested.
0: And I don't know if you remember the box. I don't know. Um, I know. Yeah, I remember the box. You heard him talk about yeah, it. Of course, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have it in rural Virginia, but uh but yes, of course. There's you know a very impactful thing, especially in. In cities, in major metropolitan areas too, yeah, for so, sure.
2: So you would see Doctor Feel Good by Motley Crue right. and then like a, a half an hour of commercials for, for like sex chat lines, and then you would see four back to back uh playings of me so horny by two live <laughs> crew. And it's like right. if you wanted to just keep requesting shit, you could. Yeah. So that was the first time I saw um the doc um the doc and the doctor which oh, was like great video it kicked my fucking head in because it was these big beats yeah and it was just this booming voice and and like a tall cat with a leather trench coat right, and right. i was like wow that's the coolest motherfucker that i've that that i've heard from the west coast yeah and he's not he's by himself he's not nwa he's not with the crew so he's kind of doing his own kind of thing even though i would soon connect him to nwa by way of like oh when i started re-listening it's like oh yeah he's all over those records and and he's a ghostwriter for a lot of those tracks and you can totally hear his his flow in there but that was a big thing so i started staying up late and losing a lot of like academic rest um Hmm. That that coincided with me being like, oh fuck all this school stuff because it, it's, I'm never gonna be good at math. I'm I'm only gonna be like the art kid. So right. I'll get A's in art. I'll get A's in everything that I'm interested in. Everything else, I'll just pass.
0: Yeah. So when you guys did started Grand Buffet, were you still was it just right out of high school or something? Were you high, teenage dudes when that? Yeah, it, to be?
2: It, it started. It started. Um, for for real for real the last year of high school Hmm. in in a true way in that um i had aspirations to go to art school because that's all i've been doing prior to is drawing and painting and and doing artistic kind of stuff and doing little little hip-hop um kind of like burners on 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 paper and little designs and and i had my own like clothing line aspirations and and all this kind of stuff did you have a name I had too many different names like um, Iguanodon being the last one because that was my first like rap name within Grand Buffet just because I got this little toy in one of those crank machines of Iguanodon and it had a permanent thumbs up that was I think the first uh, discovered dinosaur by an English um, paleontologist cat so I was like that's a cool looking dinosaur it's got permanent thumbs up so that's going to be my rap name right uh and, yeah, that, that, that's where things solidified because I, I got a scholarship to University of the Arts in Philly and I deferred it and deferred it until I just realized that I don't want to do that because well, I'm either going to get a job as a graphic designer where all that matters is that I know the latest version of, of Adobe programs right. or I'm getting in fine arts and I have no fucking income. So even if I did get a scholarship, you know, I I do have a scholarship, but I'm going to have, you know, to need money coming in to be able to to afford food if I'm in Philly. So I was like, fuck that. I'm I'm just going to work labor jobs, which I did. um, Just got a job painting houses, Mm -hmm. which was cash under the table, no insurance. So if I fall 40 feet off a ladder and crack my skull, I'm. Living in a wheelchair drooling on myself like with nothing to fucking break my fall. I would have just been living with moms. Like yeah, without, that's it. without a pot to piss in. But luckily none of that happened. And the money that I made at, at, at that point in time, right after high school graduation, it all went into being able to afford food and and you know, just travel expenses when Grand Buffet would do these little road gigs to Annapolis, Maryland and Baltimore, right. Maryland and, and Youngstown, Ohio
0: and, and things like that. Um, yeah, because I mean, like, uh, obviously some time had to be taken for you guys to start like really like hitting the road. Now, I know obviously like Grunge kind of was like the, the sort of like the booking, the man, the manager, the booking agent so, of the group, you know? Totally, and uh, and you were this the really the I always associated you as like the primary vocalist. I mean, you were the rapper in the group, mm-hmm. you know. Because even for the in those earlier tours, he would do ad libs and stuff, and presumably he he did most of the production too. But... Totally,
2: we were split down the middle initially, right. and when when it came to a live thing, I would be doing the majority of 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 the the rhymes. And we would we would come together doing a sung chorus or a rapped chorus and he would he would be my my hype man taking my little breath spots here and there. Right. And and we got really in in a certain pocket with each other to the point where we could do a show now and he would still remember those parts where I need to take right, a breath right. just from from doing a show with him last year. Um, That stuff was still it was still there um,
0: but obviously, so where, where he was it?
2: doing all the he was doing all the beats because he was a proper musician. He knew how to read music, and right. he was a pretty fucking good bass player at that point in time. Um, and his brother was a drummer and a guitarist, so he knew how to go into pockets, respectively, and how to arrange music. So for him to put together tracks was much more musical. And for me, it was like I had a Casio Rap Man, and I had these little weird. You know sounds that I could like cobble together on a cassette tape and I had the concept of, of break beats and taking like a little portion that I like and, and using that snippet over and over but I didn't have an MPC I didn't have anything like that to put that shit together. Right. So it just sounded really cheap and thin. Um, I don't know that we really ever got beyond cheap and thin until we started getting our stuff mastered. Right. But it was always
0: low five comparatively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that became like, sort of like the aesthetic, uh, Mm -hmm. musically, which, yeah, I mean, that would be part of the charm, too. I mean, the kind of production Mm -hmm. was very much like, very specific to Grand Buffet, which in itself uh, is kind of a difficult group to explain, uh, Very much to mansplain to people. (laughs) Yeah,
2: the the one way that I explain it to people that have a pretty good understanding of, of music in the last, like, 40 years is... If you were to combine sensibilities of sparks and devo and audio two, those are those are probably how you put together prepare yourself for these guys that are about to go on stage. If right. you if you have a heads up to these three bands, that will give you the best gist of like who these guys are. Because like Audio 2, um, we did hip hop but we we were always kind of like outsiders in that we were mc lights little brother we were someone's right, right. weird friend and we never quite got on and we never fit in as a hip hop group i never had an interest to be accepted by any cats unless i just thought they were cool musically right right like we we would never be accepted by Groups that 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 were serious hip hop cats in in that that like I can't can't smirk, I can't have any type of vulnerability right, right. kind of scene. We were never going to be embraced by them. We were ne- never going to be embraced by rock groups and, and so punk groups. Yeah. So all we could do is pretty much steal our fans from other people's audiences that understood that we were doing. And we were also a band that was appreciated by a lot of artists themselves. Because they would just see us go out there with a fucking Discman. And be like, wow, these, these dudes got some balls. time!" Like, they're just, they're like WWF heels. <laughs> they're either like super sweet or they're total fucking antagonistic assholes. And, That's
0: so funny. That's such a great analogy.
2: Yeah, the WWF heel thing, though, I was never a big wrestling cat like it definitely absorbed roddy 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 piper and cats like that were were always in the back of my mind along with um you know devo and 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 just wise asses right people that 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 had a sense of humor and had this bombast and would go out it's it's us versus you we're smarter than you, we're we're cooler than you, we're funnier than you. Whether yeah. we actually are or not, we'll find out right. based on who's in the audience and people would would either be smarter than us and they wouldn't fuck with us or they'd be dumber than us. And in between, like that was our pocket. Mm-hmm. You
0: know what I mean? How did it how did like the early days in Pittsburgh go? Because Pittsburgh is kind of a it's such an interesting city too, like musically, like did was that kind of uh um, representative of like just the country as a whole as far as where you guys like kind of fit in because as long as I've known you always have sort of existed in this as a weird anomaly too. You know.
2: Pittsburgh is a spot where if you go 10 um, miles outside of the city you can go in the backyard and see a confederate flag. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can feel like you're south of the Mason-Dixon so when we were, were cutting our teeth, the, the scene was bar bands and punk bands and goth industrial bands and metal bands, and the metal bands were, were older. Right, and if they were our age, they were more what would be called new metal bands, which right. we didn't want to fuck with. The,
0: the original metal bands are maybe holdovers from the eighties. You know, these, still playing, Yeah, right?
2: these were cats that, that that were using Aquanet and rock and spandex, and they oh, were like hair metal bands. Totally, yeah. totally. That, that when we recorded our first record, we were in a studio right next to uh, what would have been like a hair metal band. And they were real nice. Uh, cats that that did landscaping and carpentry and and they were a good 20 years older than us but because grunge and i were music fans and they had a chip on their shoulder seeing that we were into hip-hop it's like when we finally broke bread it's like oh these these kids know about like these deep purple deep cuts and and rush deep cuts and like they can talk talk about robert Fripp or uh, about this or that and it's like these, these are good kids yeah, we're, gonna, we're gonna take them under our wing so we started doing shows in in bumfuck like outskirts of Pittsburgh um, at places where there would be battle the bands where cats got these, these Joe Satriani guitar ribs <laughs> with the Jackson you know like high action metal guitars and they would be like
1: What's going on, Pittsburgh? Make some noise.
2: <laughs> when there's like 15 people in the audience. Right. And it would be like Jaeger shots and, and the girls with, with like 10 inches of, you know, like bangs. <laughs> like, they they were fully on with that. So we would go on in front of 40-year-old metal fans with a fucking disc man and a DJ at that point in time. Uh-huh. Playing, playing DMC records and and maybe some like Billy Squire and and like cutting juggling some some like rock
0: oh, wow. beats. So really, kind of going the semi traditional hip hop. Semi
2: traditional, yeah, because we had a, a DJ that that went to our school that was into that. Yeah, you know, um, so they they were just like, wow, the fuck is this? And they would either hate us or because we had. Balls at that point in time to be playing in front of people that potentially could have murdered us and stuffed us in a trash can at that venue. Right. Um, it it was like zebras walking into a lion's den, and it's like, wow, these kids got balls. So we're gonna take them under our wing and and like protect them from from someone with like an Aryan nation like tattoo on on their neck. Oh my God. Kind of kind of a scene. So we right. got in with those cats, and we got in with with. Uh, punk rock cats doing like food not bomb style collectives around around the town, right? And
0: and that was pretty thriving in Pittsburgh too, right?
2: That was thriving in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was, it, it was it, punk. This is this is the punk city, right? Totally.
0: Yeah, and you have a pretty good grasp of that that history too I mean like obviously you know you guys are, probably came up with some of those bands at this point in time now looking back right? we
2: came up with, with with any scene that we could play shows with right. but no scene ever really adopted us because we couldn't fit in if, if we tried right. and we didn't necessarily want to fit in because our whole interest was if we can not have some of their fans and some of their fans and some of their fans in our audience, when you look out at our audience and take a snapshot, you're going to see a fucking weird audience and that's what we want. So when when we started to get momentum in Pittsburgh and we played release shows, we had weird audiences which made for a better show and made for some type of scene solidarity for a brief period in time where it's like we had no interest in playing shows with bands that sounded like us. Um, at that point in time, no bands really sounded like us, and and yeah, it was just that that magic moment in time where we we were pioneering something and just networking with bands that we liked.
0: Right. Well, I think even that album release show, or I forget which project it was for, but the one when I I came out here to Pittsburgh with Z Man, I think it must have been two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. Um, that might have- that was around Pittsburgh Hearts. Yeah, it was either yeah, Undercover Angels, Cigarette Beach, or Pittsburgh Hearts. But I mm-hmm. think Pittsburgh Hearts was the last of those EPs. Yeah. But it was, a, you know, that Bill was Grand Buffet, uh, Gilman Terrace Party Dream, Z Man, you know, a rapper from the Bay Area, you know, very different from those two. Totally. And uh, Skell, you know, mm-hmm. which was like a like a traditional hard rock Pittsburgh band. metal, right?
2: Really good players. Yeah. That, that, that knew the shit inside and out and we, we hired them to be our like tough backing band right. for, for these rap rock tunes I remember they I made shirts with stencils that said rock for them and Grunge and I both had ones that said rap Right, and we came out and they pl- they were playing the riff from Working Man by Rush and we went into like that I remember at some point, correct me if I'm wrong I ended up like
0: dipping uh, crucifix in nacho cheese. Yeah, you came out with some white crucifixes, some uh, you know okay. nacho cheese that you would get at the gas yeah. station, and uh, gas station crucifixes. <laughs> yeah, and dipping. Yeah, I mean it was. I have some great photos from that because I took a bunch of. Dude, yeah, I love photos. to see them. Yeah, they're amazing with the crosses on the. There's nacho cheese all over the ground and the stage and, and the floor and like yeah you're licking the nacho cheese off the crucifix and stuff like that I mean, there,
2: there was a point where i looked out in the audience and and i saw my dad just <laughs> just kind of ha- like having that moment where he's like oh like that's jackson doing his weird shit like yeah. it's all it's all good like i can't i can't even be mad
0: yeah no yeah i mean it was a perfect grandma fe
2: experience it's like know? when when i was his age i was firing machine gun out of a helicopter in nom and he's dipping a a wooden cross in in cheese whiz. Yeah, this is what we fought for it it was not what they fought for right. but but he could he could look back and
0: and look at it that
2: way, and I'll look at it that way yeah, yeah. I mean it
0: was pretty awesome I mean the freedom of uh mm-hmm. of choice there that's done on stage as a performer um totally he's pretty great um, totally um I would love to know how you guys um what your experience was with the late Wesley Willis? Because he's obviously such a now a, kind of this mystique. Has, has, there was a mystique when he was alive, obviously, and, and one uh, you know um, that still looms, I, I think, today. But you guys, yeah. you traveled with him a lot for a couple of years. Right? We,
2: yeah, we did. We did a, a very short but very. Um, Dense burst of touring and, and coexisting with Wes, where I think we did three tours with him, one in a bus, one in our actual van with with Wes's head like rubbing up against the, the roof because he's he was a giant man. This for, is like for a mini van. Like van. Astrovan. It was an Astro Van, yeah. yeah. Um and then two two big, you know, white touring vans. So so we had three proper tours with him i'm sure we we did some more little one-off things but um we were huge fans of of his and when he rolled through pittsburgh his manager i think his his road manager saw us and then we were were tight with dan deacon who was a student um, and booking shows at SUNY Purchase, oh, really? so we I didn't went, realize that. We did the Pittsburgh show, and then the next day, I think we or maybe a day in between, we went to um, rock a show at SUNY Purchase where Dan Deacon like had had facilitated, you know, Wes and and us, and like he put together this weird ass show. And Wes's road manager saw that again, mm. and it's like, oh, it it kind of clicks. You guys seem to be a good fit, and and mm. Wes kind of digs what you guys are doing um whether he did or not i don't know but we boom like got offered to do some shows with us and then that just brought us in into this weird little west world where um we got to know the dude intimately and know all of his his quirks and and
0: I mean, you're doing little, right. you doing these long drives with him. I mean, you're in a in a little van with him. Yeah, we
2: experienced 9 11 with with Wes.
0: Wow, really?
2: Yeah, that 9 11 happened the morning that we were in Halifax. No, wow. we weren't in Halifax. We were somewhere in Canada, and the show that night was in Halifax. Woke up that morning. I'm eating breakfast with with Wes, and his head is is. Well, he's looking at me and I'm looking at a television set at the bar in this, this restaurant and I'm watching the towers come down and I know that Wes should not be seeing this because he has a close personal relationship with skyscrapers and right. and like that would flip his wig. So um, tried to, to just keep him away from, from what was like the biggest thing to happen in the United States since, I don't know. The Vietnam War, yeah, uh, and Grunge just woke up with fucking pneumonia, mm. and had to had to hop a train to get to the border, and then took a bus, I think, to Massachusetts or something like that. Mm-hmm. If memory serves, he he would tell the story better, but uh, that coincided with me all of a sudden opening the shows by myself representing grand buffet and also driving wes around by myself in in our van like
0: jesus christ yeah the
2: show that we did in brooklyn i remember driving uh that van in i think it was like gridlock traffic wes has to take a piss and is about to have like a freak out i'm trying to look at a map and like he's about to like bop himself in the head so I'm holding his 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 hand keeping him from like popping himself in the head and he he's trying to like take a piss in this big gulp and it was it was the highest stress level i had ever like had at least since like my parents divorce I, I would wow. say and I've never gotten back there since and I have no desire to really that was your last time in New York no, 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 no. Oh, was we played last, New York many, many times. That was your that was, last time. Uh, that was the last that, time that I was going to deal with that level of stress. Yeah, I hear you. Um, So, yeah, it was a very solemn show in, in, in Brooklyn where it would have been a sold out show probably on any other night with Wes at that point in time. But there were there were no more than like thirty people, I think, and it was just it was just weird. It was just like a chilling. Oh, and the yeah. show in Manhattan was canceled.
0: Of course, yeah. Well, I mean, that must have been days after. 9-11. I don't
2: know when. Yeah. I don't know when it was because I, I know we had this New England run right after nine eleven, coming out of Canada, where he thought he was going to be assassinated, and I had to talk him out of it when we were playing. In, in Vermont or no 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 yeah Bennington no Burlington no what was the college
0: well Bennington College Bennington is Bennington ever-
2: College yeah we wait a show at Bennington and they just not knowing Wes's quirks like put dude in a backstage green room area that was surrounded by mirrors so it was like a scene out of it was a scene out of uh, the Bruce Lee movie where, where he's having standoff with with uh, Mr. Han, uh, you know, surrounded by mirrors, and Wes is like freaked out that someone is going to shoot him on stage. Oh it's God. like you got to get Wes out of here. Um, well, get I mean, him. he
0: had serious, uh, you know, he, he was chron-
2: chronic schizophrenic, like right. high anxiety. Um, type two diabetes was was looming. Like everything was going going wrong physiologically with right. the cat, so he needed to to be on his meds. And needed to be eating decent food with some some water rich food needed to be coming into yeah. his into his diet. he had his like safe restaurants like Denny's and subway and so he had certain things that he could and couldn't do and Any anytime like we veered off of that shit could get a little little sketchy like grunge and I both vividly recall <laughs> dude, projectile vomiting um Bob Evans. at a road stop where I was looking from the back seat and I just see him with a big gulp like just filling the big gulp with vomit like he was like expertly like 30 third degree level like monk just filling this thing like a faucet with vomit and I was like grunge check it out like we gotta pull over and then we pull over and Wes just fucking spews vomit for, for like you know, a stream of like three feet. And it was a glorious thing, the mechanism of, of it all, but it sucked that that dude was not feeling good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we had lovely experiences with Wes and he was one of the funniest motherfuckers and he was the most unique person I've ever met.
0: What was this thing with the hitting the head thing? What was that all about? Did you ever understand It, it would have that?
2: been it would have been born from from when he would have been in a facility or, or some care center or halfway house or whatever you would wanna call it where he was left to his own devices and, and in a bad place hitting his head against the wall. Mm-hmm. So he had calcified bone on his forehead in, in like a noticeable bump. Yeah, which you've seen him and and you saw like he had a knot on his forehead from bumping it up against the wall. So it was a way of almost recalibrating him. When fans would do it, it it would be uh, just a calming type of thing. Yeah, because
0: it became a thing that people would associate with him that he would he would headbutt people at shows. Totally, and it was like a kind of like a. Funny, like affable thing, but obviously there's some deep psychological thing attached to that that's like goes beyond anything humor-based. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like a 16-year-old kid that that was just a, a big fan would come up and get their CD signed, and depending upon Wes's mood, they would get this this gentle exchange, or they would get a very firm grip of Wes holding like the back of their head to his head and him looking deep he's like look me in the eyes and 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 like bump me on the head so i laugh like a goddamn jackal or, or whatever animal he wanted to uh-huh. start at, at that point in time and the, the head bumps could could be real mild or or they could be some like heavy duty shit, <laughs> uh-huh. and one of us would would be there to be like west you know <laughs> chill chill on them like go go easy um but Wes was always a pretty fucking delightful dude and uh it was the best experience that that i've ever had with with an artist that that was working on this mystic kind of kind of level where where they needed their their creative outlet for actual sanity right on a, on a, in a way that no other artist that we toured with was was even close to that. So yeah, he was a come up for us, and that he connected us with so many other cats that 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 were at those shows. Whether we ended up playing shows with them or working with them in some capacity, or or like our booking agent, like, right. Yeah, he he was he was a key to a lot of that stuff.
0: Yeah, he was like it's kind of like you know like a Daniel Johnston or like mm-hmm. uh, maybe even like. I don't know if Jandek, but one of these characters that's like, you know, otherworldly or has a whole story that people kind of create around them too and shit. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that that run with him obviously, like, sort of broke you guys in a certain way, like, with, you know, the random. It taught us to stand. be tough. It taught sure, us to, to be tough because we would
2: load in, um, late if, if, the road manager was was slipping and had slept in. Like, we lo- we load in when we should have performed an hour ago at some of these venues. So, the audience why. is pissed. Half of the audience came out to, to laugh at, at like, a, a sideshow attraction. You know, their, their thoughts, not mine. Sure. And half of the audience was there to see someone who they thought was this magical fucking creative force, which was our opinion. All right. Um... And we felt very defensive of of him in that he was giving us an opportunity and he was just this wonderful dude um, that people would definitely take advantage of. So we tried to come out on stage and diffuse things. And if that wasn't going to happen, we went full on heel and we turned into like antagonistic motherfuckers. And that's where we honed our craft of like, if it's if it's 30 kids or like a thousand kids and they aren't fucking with us, like we're not fucking with you and mm-hmm. we're going to troll you for for like the entire set.
0: Right. Which you guys became masters of, I feel like.
2: Yeah, yeah. by way of by way of survival. And right. we got pretty quick witted and and we got kind of fearless. Um, like I was very good at talking shit. Grunge was very good at talking shit and also being physically imposing enough that right. that that he could see you after the show and you you wouldn't want to deal with that. And maybe I would give the illusion of being like a pillhead or just some spastic that might have like a bag of blades <laughs> in a little leather pouch by my side. <laughs> right. Or I always had like oversized pleated pants and just well just, the
0: outfits were immediate visual throw off. Yeah. Because you guys would you know. Whether it was half tongue-in-cheek or intentional, but there was a thing where, you know, you guys would come... You have this sort of, like, punk, but, like, irony thing that, depending on what part of the country you're in, can be interpreted all types of different ways. You know, mm-hmm. Grunge always had... He would, he would start having, like, the... Chain The, the wall full leg-length uh, chain chain wall and the, the cut-off chance, dickies, you know. The chains He would have
2: the shoes, yeah. like, the, from discount bins... Eight to ten years after they were cool, so <laughs> right, right. He would, he would, yeah, have like the Patrick Ewing high tops, like he he would <laughs> right. have all the the wackest but coolest shit, right. along with the dinosaur junior sh- shirt or right, or right. the Spin Doctor shirt, and I would have the like form fitting T shirt with the pleated zoot suit pants that, that were. <laughs> held on by a belt not because i thought they were cool or not because i thought they were like whack just because i didn't know what the fuck like Hmm. i i was trying to say at that point in time i was just going to come out with something and it was going to be a little off-putting
0: and that's where i was at right well i think it also like sort of like was a precursor to a thing that now is is very is super popular with uh performance arts i mean with people especially in comedy you know, and I think, you know, you you guys and Neil Hamburger sort of kind of came up around the same time, too. And he probably had to deal with a lot of those survival skills, too. I'm a big, I'm a fan of his. And we I, were
2: on a build together, but we were not Grand Buffet. Oh, really? We would link up with this two-piece rock outfit called the Modi Lemon, which mm-hmm. is a really good uh, rock duo that turned into a trio before before they, they, they kind of, like... Um, I don't know, stop stop doing the thing. And we were like this this tongue in cheek working class Pittsburgh rock band, blues based rock band doing Americana You don't like it, get the fuck out. I like big <laughs> girls, you know, fast cars. Right. Um and we did a show opening for him where we had to leave the venue in this persona because we we ended the show with what seemingly was an underage girl that stripped completely naked and us doing beer shots off of her ass Uh like it was by design, and there were people that knew who we were and people who didn't know who we were, and e- even people who knew who we were were like aghast at what was going on, but it, it became a kind of legendary show. Is this just like a one-time-only thing, this
0: this band? This or- was a
2: band called the Four Seasons Boys, which turned into uh, a band called Cobalt Black. Um, and we did four or five shows, oh. I think, and and it was just like the whole thing was piss people off but do songs that you were psyched about if you were an imaginary rock and roll band a la Motley Crue by right. way of like um, a local band. Um, we did one cover. The way the whole thing started was Motley Lemon had a gig and we had a gig in this fucking park somewhere in Maryland. Both of our shows tanked. So we, we ended up co- combining forces at a bar where we just cobbled together covers like not knowing any fucking thing, like in, like complete songs or anything. So we just winged it. And the one song where things came together was uh, a Bob Seger song. So we, for the first show, did, I think, a Bob Seger song several times over. Like, it's all very <laughs> fuzzy how we did it. Right, but, right. But yeah, and, and like the next show was at a vegan punk rock venue where we brought in um, alcohol and we're all smoking and <laughs> through a KFC bucket around and, and we're just WWF heels, we were right. total just yeah. fucking antagonistic cats. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's
0: that's kind of where we were at. Um, but that's a thing. I mean, that's a you know you know with look at Eric Andre and Tim and mm-hmm. Eric and stuff like that, where it's a thing that people they love the audience pays to be. Fucked with. Totally.
2: And and given how much we played Florida, I'm sure Eric Andre would have been in effect at one of the shows that, that oh, yeah, we were so. on the bill of because he was in like a funk metal group that was very tongue in cheek, very zappa. So we would have like he probably would have hated us, we probably would have hated him just right. because mm-hmm. we were too similar at a, at a point in time. But um I love some of the shit that that he's been doing and i recognize in him a lot of what we would have been doing if we had the financing to have our own show yeah you know like there's some beautiful beautiful moments like in in the stuff that 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 he's done
0: on his show um was that ever a thing did anyone ever approach you i mean it might have been was it ahead of its time and that like you know adult swim still wasn't really as like yeah yeah a force in this 2002 was, and 2003. We
2: kind of disintegrated as as an actively touring recording act right at the gates of all that stuff popping right. on and all the type of like smartphones that didn't sound like shit right. recording live banter. So there are so many little rants and shows that, that were we doing shows now, they would have went viral and that would have single handedly got us shows throughout like the western world in my opinion
0: people would have seen that and that would have been the incentive well we want to bring that
2: here. yeah i feel as though someone was telling me that someone heard uh us mentioned as like a footnote on wise podcast where where they were kind of musing on how man if like these cats had had stayed or been around at that point where where Viral videos had popped off They would have gotten a second wind And really like popped right. off But we we disintegrated Right before that happened And um
0: Yeah that was Well it's like you guys are like the black flag Of that shit too as far as like The early black flag years of them Like just touring and like going And just just fuck all yeah. Shit shows But still just slaying the audience Nonetheless and you know, and that ushers in like another crop the next generation. Not to say that like you guys aren't like old retired, you know, guys either. Totally. But totally. But totally. I will say this in, in uh in conjunction to that, the your stand up album, the album, the stand up comedy album that basically you guys did, you know, um is fucking brilliant. Do you know which album I'm talking about?
2: Where it's us heckling? Yeah yeah that all praise due to to grunge on that one that would that was his that was his thing just like i had that weird karaoke mp3s right. thing where i'm just singing poorly to to like <laughs> horrible bitrate you know napster uh right. karaoke songs um we had huge ambition but we never had the infrastructure to really pop things off like that's why we never really had a big video we never had just as things look like they were about there, there's this bowie quote about iggy pop on the back of his like 1980 uh, biography where it says something about snatching um defeat from the jaws of victory And I thought that was very apt to like our story, like just when it looks like Grand Buffet is about to like come come up, you know, it's like they piss away their money on like um, a bunch of personal pan pizzas (laughs) and rent instead of like financing a video that would have been well recorded and and filmed and, and would have brought us to like this new level of exposure Right. It's because we were always butting heads at like how it was gonna look or how it was gonna sound that it always just stayed on on the back burner, and instead we just ended up like not being around each other until we had tour again. So sure. all of these things that could have been nurtured just turned into us like stringing together a rent and buying buying like cake and cookies <laughs> and and pizza. For, for a couple months right. not having to get day jobs. So it I was right. living hand to mouth shoebox banking kind of stuff yeah. on, you know, the streets of Pittsburgh, which were very affordable and continue to be so comparatively.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um did you see like over the years you guys I mean during this tenure of the group <clears throat> that when you came back to Pittsburgh that like did did their did you did your stature as a group f- feel like it was like solidified somehow because you know it's just like the contemporary art i mean maybe i'm phrasing framing this in a weird way but i'm thinking of like contemporary artists that come out of pittsburgh and like you know uh make some sort of name for themselves or whatever and then come home it's like you've always have did you guys always sort of remain this weird oddity type thing or or did people get it here in pittsburgh finally do they like understand I can what it's all about.
2: I can be in different cities and I can be around Pittsburgh and people will stop me and recognize me from from Grand Buffet and strangely sometimes from Mrs. Paintbrush, which is really weird in, yeah. in that like I've never toured with that project and there's one video.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, but here, and it's always been a thing in in my adult life, Pittsburgh is a pretty thankless place. But that's a blessing and a curse in that you can never kind of like live on your own dick here. Because people don't give a fuck about you if if you're king shit, and you're sitting at the bar, like, right, because it's not the type of place where pretense gets you anywhere and playing playing like the popularity game or the status game gets you any fucking where here. Right. This is still a city that's divided between tech and medicine and education and don't have a pot to piss in working hand, you know, like living hand to mouth kind of a thing. So, we just ran into to Greg Gillis aka right. Girl Talk who if I had his his money I would probably have turned into the biggest fucking prick. I would be in a suit of armor right now with temperature controlled, like, like shoes yeah. and a fucking hoverboard and, and like a wooden artisan, like artisanal case from my hoverboard. Like <laughs> that cat is incredibly just good natured. And, and like, he's always been sweet. He's always been humble, yeah, super humble Lives chill. right down the street. You can see him at any bar. And he still does the same shit and still eats Domino's pizza where it's like I would be a fucking huge prick and I would be only eating it like the top of skyscrapers like if I had his money (laughs) and I would have pissed it away years ago. Right. You know what I mean? But gloriously so. Oh, sure. And I would have financed like elaborate things where he's he's like invested it seemingly and and he makes like shrewd decisions and, and he puts it back into his career.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
2: And he knows that scene that that like he can go hobnob with cats that 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 are millionaires like at, at festival shows, but when he comes back to Pittsburgh, no one gives a fuck.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> and and that is I could see that being a, a in a way a blessing. I mean, it keeps it you is. grounded. It yeah. is
2: totally, and it has made for some of the deadliest bands in the United States to me, where certain bands in Pittsburgh that nobody knows when you come through and you're a hot shit LA act or a New York act and you're right. playing this dive bar this band might open up for you and they might clean the fucking floor with you and make you look like shit mm-hmm. because they're like a gang and they're used to people not giving a fuck so they've turned into this tribe of of just like bloodthirsty like we're on the same wavelength cats where where like if if you're at all slipping and you're you're down like down mood wise because you didn't get the right chips backstage this opening act might destroy you because they're they're like in their early 20s or they're in their like mid 40s and they have seen it all and done it all or they're ready to take on the world respectively and they don't give a fuck about anything but, like, kicking your ass. <laughs> so it's right. great. And I will still... I'll still go up and stand in the front row of, of a show where, where it's, like, a 21-year-old kicking ass or it's, it's older cats kicking ass. And, and that makes for a really cool scene in Pittsburgh. We still don't have proper venues for the middle ground. Like, you have basement shows and you have bar shows... And then you have this void in between. And then you have big promoter shows. Yeah, you got
0: Stage AE, right? And then like the the Heinz. But yeah. The the middle
2: ground is missing. Whereas when GB was coming up, Oakland, that neighborhood right down the way, Uh had four great venues for that middle ground show. You matter what those were. Yeah. um, You had Laga. You had the Attic. Upstage, you had a place uh that oh, it used to be what was it, like tobacco roadhouse it's no hmm. it it was called the decade long ago when when like you two played it oh wow police played it and and it's not much bigger than this room they played it when they they were like still on that punk rock right. circuit like oakland used to be a hub just like bloomfield used to be a hub where like Bloomfield has really no venues except for this place called Howlers.
0: Howlers, okay, I've and, heard of
2: that. And that was a spot where, in like 1980, Robert Fripp played a show when oh. he was into the whole no wave thing, along with with Brian Eno, and okay. they were digging all this weird punk shit and post punk shit.
0: What neighborhood is Brillo Box in?
2: Brillo Box is, is uh, on the cusp of of Bloomfield and Lawrenceville. Oh, okay. And it's a cool spot, and and many friends of mine are involved with it. Do sound oh, their okay. work it's, there? Is it
0: like kind of a mainstay? It's been around for a totally,
2: long time. Totally, totally, yeah. That that's that's a spot that I I've played a lot, and I'll probably I'll, I'll do like a birthday show there, and right. and the sound is good, and and you know what to expect as far as like what they take from the door, and and like yeah. they're nice folks.
0: Yeah, it's like the touring. I mean, touring acts will run through there. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. There's something else I wanted to kind of talk about, too, if this is all right, because I I Mm sort of asked you before, but since I hadn't seen you in a while, too, and this kind of plays into talking about Pittsburgh as well, yeah, is that, uh, and I I heard that, like, uh, I think through Grunge, because this was a a few years ago, but that you got shot. Yeah. Um, What, what... Is that something? How did that all come together? <laughs> yeah, like it's like talking about like a record release party. <laughs> uh, but what, what, I mean, but you're like it, it was. Um, you're okay, right?
2: I'm totally okay. I have like a extra centimeter of um, calcified bone. I have this little little lump right underneath my right knee where where the the slug went. Mm. Um, which has become harder than ever and very resilient, thanks to, I think, running on pavement like a dumbass a couple times a week. Right. Like, I, I, I don't run distance, I run pretty much sprints. So, I look like this fucking crazed, possibly <laughs> homeless guy, right. or, or just like this burnt out Peter Pan looking cat, and like <laughs> in green short shorts running around. Um, so I got like a little little scar there. the The way that it, it happened, I was at I was at a club at some DJ night that that a friend of mine was doing, and I was dancing my ass off. and And it was this unseasonably warm evening. This was in February, six years ago. Mm, okay. um, so yeah, we we were coming up on on like the six year anniversary and I didn't capitalize on five year anniversary. So if you don't capitalize on that, you can't come with like the six year anniversary. So I'm never going to, I'm never going to exploit it. Like it's water under the bridge, but
0: 10 years might be good
2: though. 10, 10 years. I, I could see. Yeah. We'll see where I'm at. If I, if I need some, some like, uh, Kickstarter money, I, I can, cash. yeah, I can extort that and embellish like how traumatic it was. But right now, while I'm being completely honest, I was coming uh, over this huge hill on a road called Stanton and riding through Highland Park and then East Liberty. And right as I was passing this gas station, there were two individuals that were having some exchange with with this other older cat and tensions were high and everyone seemed to, to be holding a weapon um, as it seemed to be in in like the play-by-play. Looking back, these two cats fired on this dude. He took, I think, three slugs and one of those slugs that was meant for him found its way to my dumb ass on my bicycle right at the trajectory that that he was like getting shot. And I had had my, my little earbuds. No, I had one earbud in with one open to the street the roadside, because I'm like a half dumb ass. And all I saw were the silhouettes backlit of cats just scurrying after these shots went off. And I just felt what what I thought at the time were like cinders as we call them here in, in Pittsburgh, which would be pebbles, uh, pieces of asphalt, that felt like they went into my leg or hit my leg. And I looked and saw, like, okay, some shit just went down. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And, Did you and,
0: fall off your bike? You, just, you, were, you, could, you didn't, like, lose control?
2: Not at all. Like, because I was moving in a pretty good clip, coming down this hill right, right. and just moving with that momentum. And I was moving in the direction with the bullet pretty much. Oh. And I was also... I had black leather pants... I had all black leather on. I was looking pretty fresh. I had these sweet Italian leather shoes that were way out of my like pay grade that I found used like a couple days before. So I was like I was really really slick looking. Um and sweaty as all hell and I think I had some I had some lining underneath that which helped with the impact, I think. Yeah. Being right. less. It was it was a solid no, it was a hollow point bullet. So instead of it, it smashing the the bone upon impact, it just kind of buckled. Whereas if that same bullet had hit me in the guts, that would have like shredded. Because hollow points are, are they're made to fuck people up. Right. If if you get hit in the vitals, but it worked out well, and it just buckled, and um, so I make so I make it home, walk up the steps. And I just hear this click And it was like metal on bone I was like god damn it Like that was a fucking I got shot
1: Holy shit
2: So my roommate wasn't home at the time So I just went upstairs And And uh, Rolled up these leather pants And saw like Oh okay yeah that's a fucking bullet hole And And started um, Just piecing together What What am I gonna do I don't want to go to the hospital because I can't afford to go to the hospital. Yeah. Like I can't afford an ambulance ride, mm-hmm. I can't afford anything. I have no insurance. Um so I just kind of like tried to clean around the area and and cut off the bleeding with with a t-shirt and some gauze and <clears throat> put some salve on it or I don't that's a little fuzzy, like, what, what I did. But ultimately, I realized that someone else got shot and maybe was dead. Yeah. So I called to report it, um, which I didn't want to be a snitch. But it was just like, hey, someone might have been shot and they might have been, like, a good person that was just trying to, like, pay for gas or something like that. Yeah. And, and so I did. And... Just to let them know, I was just in this area, motherfuckers were getting shot, I took one of the bullets. That's what's that's what's going on. And they said, Yeah, we just got someone that that, that had a couple of slugs and they were dropped off at this hospital and they're they've been relocated. We're headed your way. And I was like, Ah, fuck. Oh wow, they're coming to you. Yeah, so a cop shows up and when he shows up, that means that, that automatically uh, an ambulance is coming to pick me up, and I was like, "Don't! I don't want to! I can't afford this! Mm-hmm. Don't pay for this!" I walk to the door in in this black leather suit jacket, you know, with with a tie and and like this this gold tie pin and and the shoes. And the first thing he he does he does a double take, like, "What the? F- who the fuck is this guy? What is going <laughs> on here? He looks like some weird kind of like Irish mafia dude. What what is going on?" Huh. So. To, to let him know that, that nothing weird was going on I was like come upstairs like I'll, I'll break down like what was going on and um, then these dumbasses roll up with the ambulance and it was like some some like Keystone Cops level like fumblery go, going on putting me in there and like strapping me in oh and, and like if I was really fucked up and losing a lot of blood it would have been a problem. Like no, it man. was just like, yeah, it it, it was some dumb bumble kind of, kind of shit. Uh, wow, man. So yeah, I, I had a fucked up walk for, for about a week and a half. Didn't tell my parents about it until I could see them personally, which for my dad, he lives in Pittsburgh. So that, that was like a week and a half later, like after things, had, no, two, three weeks later after things had healed. I went out to dinner with him and like broke down like hey I got shot but it's all good <laughs> and then uh, almost half a year later when I visited my mom in New England let her know and obviously like she she breaks into into tears and sure. it's like hey mom and that was like a moment where it's like look you live you live far away from me I don't get to visit you as much like we had a good run if anything weird happens to either one of us like we it's all it's all good you know Like you did your thing. I did your thing. Like your job is done. You know, it was a, it was a
0: very strange conversation, but, um, well, why? Because it was like, you sort of had a near death experience. So you need to like have that kind of, uh, um, two weeks after I
2: got shot, I got hit by a car. Really? And that fucked me up a lot worse. Were you riding your bike? I was riding my bike. Once again, as I, I do every day and, and this escalade that, that we were both gunning down this hill. It didn't just just oh, an abrupt U-turn on I don't know it looked like a police maneuver but it left me nowhere to go but into oncoming traffic or or them or a parked car so I just tried to to like turn along with them and I went up the side of this Escalade and and my my um, my bicep shattered their their side view mirror into like a fucking it it exploded like confetti and i rode up the side of this and landed still holding my bike and and like the driver gets out and is apologizing because they knew they fucked up i didn't and i just told him to get the fuck out of my face which in retrospect i wish i would have exchanged information with them (sighs) so that I could have some type of like coverage because the the what happened from there this bicep just got split like there was no broken bone but like I have I have like a a junior bicep right here along with my normal bicep oh, wow. which it works it works perfectly fine but like I just have this extra fucking like severed bicep which if I had the money I would have gotten some type of vanity surgery all right but she's a wheeze, man. Yeah, so so that fucked up my arm for for a little while. How is it now? It's perfectly fine now. Oh, okay, like it might have it might have ruined my my chances of like getting really fucking buff, just because there would be no no extra room for this bicep to go if I got at some competitive <laughs> level with it. But it's hard <laughs> enough for me to put on muscle mass because I'm like permanent. Hummingbird metabolism type of cat Yeah like we can I, have a similar totally. body build yeah. I, I fluctuate Five pounds <clears throat> And it's been that way since high school Right I won't gain weight And I never got into smoking shitloads of weed And eating cheap pizza And drinking cheap beer Because I never yeah. went to college So because I didn't go to school I never got that, that special college Cheap beer and weed and pizza weight yeah. that A lot of my friends did, where they just kind of look gray, and they they developed like a little bit more
0: neck thickness. Yeah, that's the yeah that, that cheap cheese go, all goes into your neck. Totally, yeah. totally. And like the Bud Light and Coors Light.
2: Yeah, so I credit that to 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 my being in this extended adolescence. Even though I the bags under my eyes or the dark circles will will they're they're evident and some crow's feet around my my eyes, like, I can still run a mile the same time as I did way back when. I'm still in pretty good, like, fighting shape. You look good. Thank you. Thank yeah. you.
0: You look great. You don't look any different from the last time I saw you.
2: Just a, a little bit of age in the face. Yeah, and you got a
0: couple, uh, you know, gray Yeah, silver I, got, I got, I got, I got like a nice
2: little patch of white chest hair going on, which scares me that, that like, it's going to be a heart attack that takes me out Which I come from total heart attack Irish family. Yeah, but you
0: kinda take you seem like you take pretty good care of yourself too, right?
2: I do. I do, but if I stop moving, I'll die. Yeah. It's just it's just my Achilles based on my physiology. I love chocolate cake and I have to eat a lot of saturated fat and and cholesterol to keep my body like actively regenerating. But at the same time, if I stop, it gets glutted in, in my chest cavity and I die. So my my day job is I'm a, supp- a natural supplement buyer at the co-op in oh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. So I kind of hit the ground running learning physiology and, and naturopathic medicine with no degree or anything. So I'm a total fucking snake oil salesman that, that has helped... A lot of folks in the community wean themselves off pharmaceuticals and get off their blood pressure medication and get nice. the shit together. I watched them go from like having a foot in the grave to getting the shit together uh, starting starting to take care of themselves and learn how to cook bulk foods and and, and yeah. like it's been a it's been a cool, rewarding experience where it's a low it's a no stress job. Yeah, that's cool. Like I have insurance and and the folks are good. And it's in a community like right at the cusp of very wealthy people. And yeah, so there is an infrastructure to support that. And there's yeah. diversity, which in Pittsburgh, you you don't get unless you actively go to areas where people are meeting at a crossroads. Right. So so
0: this area seems like kind of like that vibe.
2: It's it's. Approaching that vibe, but this is is closer to to Wilkinsburg, yeah. which is a more um, it's a black neighborhood because Pittsburgh is still very much socioeconomically segregated. Mm. And East Liberty is where intermingling starts to happen by way of like arts and community and things like that. But people are still getting gentrified out of their original neighborhoods and like all that shit. The the Los Angeles and San Francisco bombs are being dropped on Pittsburgh in a huge way now. Where I can feel that. Oh, you're just you're seeing, you're seeing, high rise kind of loft tech buildings being just legoed all around, and it's like who the fuck is living there? You drive by these places and nobody is in these buildings. Yeah. Multiply that by at least a dozen. That's this monopoly. Stack is going on all around like the the main boroughs of Pittsburgh, right. and it's like who the fuck is? And it's like if if you go and get a coffee at Ace Hotel, you'll see people with with leather bags that, that are worth more than your life. And it's like oh, they're not from around here. They, they right. must be some of those tech cats. Like yeah.
0: well, it's like the Rust Belt is kind of becoming like the last frontier in a, in a lot of ways. As far as like those cities and like Cleveland too, I think yeah. is is getting hit and. But there are some there are some cool things that are happening here. I love this city, you know? Totally. And I think the Grand Buffet and your story, too, it's like... It is very much like a Pittsburgh story. And coming mm-hmm. back, it is like a... You know, it's such a... You know, people are kind of... Yeah, humble and a little, like... They keep it real with you and shit. I don't know. I I like that. I really admire that about this place and the people...
2: At the end of the day, we are just Steel Town girls on a Saturday night, <laughs> you know? Um, Pittsburgh will will remain Pittsburgh until everyone that was here before it, it got too expensive to, to live within city limits is, is gone. And it's completely just new tech and new education, you know, students and... And UPMC and PNC employees and and it is just a hub for New York and San Francisco and and, um, Beijing and and France and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, everyone will be kicked out to the suburbs. Shortly thereafter, the giant gates will go up around the metropolis and, and we will have to fight. To the desk to be able to have like rations and and clean
0: water. I know it's ultimately yeah. where things are going. Yeah, I mean you can see, and the clean water here is already becoming a some somewhat of an issue, right? Totally. Uh, we have a
2: shitload of lead in our water right now, which has has been leached out of the pipes by way of the the treatment of the water, uh, lowering the pH, making it more acidic. Um, I don't know if that's lowering or raising, but but it's become more acidic. I know the higher the number, the more alkaline so right. uh, and anyhow, our water is is insulting and and if I had an assault rifle, I would probably like be in jail right now not not to like talk like a tough guy but but I don't have any kids, and I have stuffed animals and and like a couple hundred dollars in my bank account and the thought. <laughs> of me having a child and it having to drink lead contaminated water that they add extra chlorine to like, I would want to kill motherfuckers for real. And that's a big reason why I'm not going to have a kid because I don't want to have to bring them up um, in a crumbling empire with poisonous food and water and being told what to do with them. Like, All right. yeah, I'm I'm always like one like underground bunker and an assault rifle away from getting shot by cops within an hour of me <laughs> making my big stand. Like <laughs> I would be I'd be like a half an hour away from from my destination and like people would just see me on my bike with a gun barrel sticking out and be like, oh, like. Let's hit him with our car. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. So I'm always like that's why I can't really get into psychedelic drugs. Yeah. Because there is something looming in in me as there seems to be on on one side of my family where you could be an acid hit away from seeing like fractal elephants and and like thinking that, that like the ghost of uh Gerald Ford is is living in your wall. I, I I don't even know. Yeah, wow. But I'm going to get into psychedelics probably in my fifties. Yeah. I stayed out of I stayed out of drugs and drinking until my thirties, and even my introduction to that. Uh, and I'm not snitching on myself. It's all pretty like pedestrian.
0: Yeah, I mean, even when you were doing Grand Buffet, I mean, you were never like you know the drunk dude. You always you were pretty like straight, you know, the whole time. right?
2: Totally, I I was the introverted extrovert when it came to showtime that had control issues. So my father figures, luckily, were Chuck D and Ice T at this formative time where, though they were like public enemy number one so to speak to to authority they weren't fucking with hard drugs right um so it was like it was cool to not drink or you know not smoke weed even i remember yeah. going through this weird phase where i threw out my cypress hill records and my red man records because i was like no like that's a pass to to like other shit that was literally that was like a two month phase where I threw out my ghetto boys records ended up buying them back because like they're talking about disemboweling people and like scarface is literally a fucked up dude <laughs> um but but yeah, I went through this weird phase where I was essentially straight edge vegan um Didn't fuck with drugs, but didn't like any vegans. Didn't like all the preachy bullshit. I just wanted to keep myself on the straight and narrow so that my band could continue to, to like, kick ass on this DIY, you know, torn-in-the-van level without... We needed to stay balanced, so I had to be a polarity of grunge so that we would remain interesting and remain, like... A functioning band, because if he was gonna drink a bunch of Jack that night, I had to be able to to keep my shit together, and vice versa. So when when he woke up in the in in the morning, and broke out the map and broke out like how it was going down driving, I could go into my my own little insular world and mm-hmm. and like read my conspiracy theories, you know, and and eat my fucking. Oats with coconut oil, you know. At the, at the truck stop, we we needed to diversify each other, you know, to, to to polarities, so that we could exist.
0: I feel. Yeah, you guys did that well. Do you do you um? Do you think you'll ever really can re fully form again, record again? I'm not
2: at all opposed to it. He's got a lot on his plate right now. As as like an adult. Um, We played a show last year, we played two shows, like one in Pittsburgh, which which was like a big kind of GB show um, that I thought went went swimmingly. And we we had a lung capacity and we were jumping all around like 20 year olds. And, And then we did our last show was in Toledo, which was a fun set as well. So I continue to stay in in shape for the call you know the mm. the, the g b bad signal um but I don't expect it, and my main interest would be for us to to put out a couple really good tunes right. and then do do a little tour on those because i I think we could still make a really interesting album i yes. uh, I don't know what it would sound like um but I've definitely step up, stepped up my game as far as the way that I put together music. Um, yeah. I think the last rap thing that, that I did where I was actually rhyming was, was technically on par with anything I've done before. Though I'm, I'm sure, if I'm being honest with myself, I've gotten lazier because I get more interested in the, the composition of, of like the sonic aspect. Than like the lyrical aspect because I have to do all of it now. Right.
0: So you need to have that 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 balance between the two of you to really bring it combine those things.
2: Totally. Yeah. And and I'm I'm I put together a band now where we sit in in a rehearsal space and vibe off each other. It's not at all me it's not me rapping at all. I don't want to rap in a live band because you have tendencies to veer into jam bandish stuff where it's like the band if they're good as musicians they can keep playing right. but if you're out of raps that means you're going to be ad-libbing and if you're not incredible at ad-libbing you're going to be using stock words and it's going to turn into a funky jam band thing which i'd rather put the fucking mossberg in my mouth than yeah
0: you're too Sophisticated for that shit, you know. Like, it's not in me. Yeah, right. it's it's not in me. Like I, <clears throat> and I, plus it might it could compromise the legacy too of Grand Buffet. You should do. Mm-hmm. You should explore other stuff. I mean, that, I mean, you are like you know a true artist. I mean, you should be able to kind of dabble in wherever your mind leads you. You
2: know, totally. Like no nobody has heard this band's music yet because I'm not ready to put it out yet. But when when we do, it's going to be for individuals like making music and it will sonically it will be more like post-punk cool it'll be me singing and and doing like synth treatments a synth player a a really good drummer really good bass player So. and I want to be I want to be in a gang I want to be in a band that that gives 100% and just fucking throws down with nothing other than reputation as being good at being us like as the reward if if money comes from that cool but all i want to do is is like have a band that i'm psyched to be in and and that's that was always the thing with with gb you know where where we would we would bleed on stage to just throw down for our set in in that like all we have is a fucking disc player sometimes we have a dj like dj jester was our longest running yeah (laughs) shout out shout out dj jester wonderful cat the nicest member of grand buffet (laughs) the the most easy to get along with and 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 um well-known member of grand buffet i would say
0: uh yeah well i love it man i mean you know i've always been a, a huge fan and i know like uh you know, we haven't seen each other in a while, so I definitely appreciate you just like uh, making time and finding the time. I'm I'm so glad I could find you, and locate you. Yes, that was that was the uh, that was the first um, challenge. It's
2: it's been a minute, and I'm I'm glad that you have kind of like a, a little Pittsburgh uh, awakening happening as far as yeah. your 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 uh, map goes. I oh, would for sure. I would say folks that are fans of of Grand Buffet. In between time, I've been doing uh, anything that I've made has come out under the Mrs. Paintbrush moniker, which is just the name of all the bedroom, like pop and and lo fi kind of hip hop tracks that I do. Yeah,
0: which you've had for a few, some years now. Yeah,
2: so it's been about like a fucking decade. Yeah, it's amazing. And I put fuck all into it as far as marketing. I put out one. Like professional video, where, where like it, it's a cohesive thing. What song is that? Uh, or what was it called? Mister Fiddlesticks. If you've not seen it, fuck with it. I it would definitely it would fit very well on one of your video comps. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The story behind that is I am a supplement buyer, so when I inherited that position, there were thousands of dollars worth of expired supplements. So I was like, I need to write a tune about fake drugs, fake street drugs. To, to use them in this video where I can like unload all of these fucking pills and, and it coincided with with like the rise of like mumble you know core like MC yeah. shit going on so I was like I'm just gonna do a nonsensical rap and it was a lot of fun so yeah peep that is called called uh, Mr. Fiddlesticks but yeah all the Mrs. Paintbrush stuff there are people that don't know anything about Grand Buffet from uh, around like Europe and, and the UK and, and the States and Canada that, that are downloading the stuff or ordering, like the physical CD or the posters and things like that. Miss Paintbrush? Miss Paintbrush? Of Miss Paintbrush. So it's been, it's been cool getting fans that don't know who the fuck I am. They just stumble across myself Half the time, by the way, of, of uh, Tropical Goth being my description on Bandcamp. Which is the sole avenue to listen to the Mr. Painter stuff. Because right. I don't fuck with SoundCloud. Right. I hate all the debris that is on the page. Yeah, yeah. With mm. with Bandcamp, you can just have your shit without advertisements. So, like,
1: right.
2: I'm a complete dumbass. Like, if it doesn't fit with me aesthetically, I won't jump on any trains, even if it would be better career-wise. So, I have no, no inclination when I'm making music to please anybody so when I do get off my ass to like put something out it's purely because I'm entertained by the stuff and because of that I like what I'm doing and people can can fuck with my stuff and spend a couple bucks on it knowing that I'm not trying to like get a hot iTunes song um fuck iTunes categorically like like just know that if you liked any of the stuff that I've done in Grand Buffet, like, I'm still pretty much that same fucking
0: dumbass. <laughs> and ain't a damn thing change. Oh, that's what's up, man. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time, and It's great to talk to you, dude. Yes. Hell yeah. What did that clock in at?
2: Um, 90 minutes. Okay, Jesus Christ. <laughs> One fucking shot of espresso. That'll do it, yeah.
0: Wow, that was awesome and amazing. And amazingly awesome, and I really appreciate Jackson takes, taking his time to talk to me on the house list. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, my part one of my two-parter on the incredible, undeniable, irreplaceable, unfuckwittable A Grand Buffet. If you want to check out Jackson's solo output as Mrs. Paintbrush, Mrs. Paintbrush is at Bandcamp, like he had said. The best way to check out his shit is at Bandcamp. Mrspaintbrush.bandcamp.com. Check it out. Uh, there's like uh, five albums on there that you can check out. The dude is amazing. And while we were talking, well, one, we talked for like, you know, an hour or two before we even started the episode. And then we went and like walked all through Pittsburgh after that and had this like great meal, like pierogies. And we talked about like um, health and well-being and supplements and my transplant and uh just like life on the road and coming off the road and growing up and getting older and and then we walked to the carnegie museum and i got a a, and then i took off and it was awesome the dude is cool he's he's like a real thinking man's artist you know and uh that part of pittsburgh is so dope that bullet shield i like that area it's cool it's so like in the cut um I really, really enjoyed it and really enjoy doing these for you. So hopefully you like it. If you do, please subscribe on iTunes, uh, rate it and spread the word. Tell your friend about it. Knock on your neighbor's door and be like, yo, what's up? Hey man, have you heard about this podcast? It's called The House List. I know there's 10 trillion podcasts to choose from, but here, check out this one. They just did something on Grand Buffet. Do you remember Grand Buffet? Of course I do. I love them. I just saw them in Toledo last month. You know, and uh, uh, it's also on Stitcher, the Stitcher app and soundcloud.com. You can follow them on house list pod at Twitter. So yes, many ways to listen to it wherever you get podcasts. Um, And like each and every episode, this has been edited and engineered by my man, CJ Stewart out in Humboldt County, California. Uh, My name is Peter Agoston. Thank you so much. As we open the show with one of my favorite grand buffet tracks um, Benjamin Franklin music, then I'm going to close this with, with one of these songs off of, um, a Mrs. Paintbrush album. Uh, this album is called, um, Duke two, which you can find at Mrs. Paintbrush. That's M R S paintbrush alright you All right, y'all I'll see you guys next week. And hopefully it's going to be the part two with Lord grunge of grandma Faye until next time y'all peace later. I love Pittsburgh. See y'all. Bye.
1: pillowcase watching it accumulate eight or nine pound average in my glory days stamina was paramount back when i used to trick or treat soon as school would spit me out i'd hit my house and i would eat leafy green vegetables to fortify myself with the fiber required to endure enough sugar to kill a baby tiger got so wired i could hear the fourth dimension picked up on all the sounds and kept the family pet's attention pressure from the church groups bullies that want your candy and police that want to search you for alcohol and firecrackers these are deciding factors on how to strategize your candy quest before it's active yeah. treat now people would think i was a creep plus i'm a candy stop now most of that shit i wouldn't eat excessive doses of fructose are corrosive too much of it and you'll end up in realms where the ghosts live and that's essentially what halloween's about keep on eating up that candy keep the jesus lovers. Halloween is cool, I use candy as my fuel To go out and get more candy, and I bet I'll get a few of those peanut butter chews And the orange and black wax paper Those are dangerous, those are falling raisin'